Father, we want to pray in the spirit of what Jeanette shared with us last week. Um, as we listen to your word now, uh, we want to pray that it would find good soil in our hearts and our minds and our lives. Uh, we want to pray that the seed of your word would not be snatched away by the enemy before it has a chance to take root. Uh, we want to pray that it wouldn't find uh, rocky, stony soil in our lives where it can't take root. And Father, we want to pray that it wouldn't get choked out by the distractions of life. Um, our prayer is that your word would nestle deeply down into the soil of our hearts and that it would sprout and send out roots and that it would bear fruit. Uh, and we love that promise in the parable that it will bear fruit many, many, many times what was planted. Um, and so that's our prayer this morning, uh, that your word would be planted deeply in our hearts and our lives and that it would bear much fruit in the days ahead. Um, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. In case you're wondering and confused, I'm not using a PowerPoint this morning. If you're thinking the picture is really dark and gloomy, um, I'm not going to use a PowerPoint. We're going to keep it kind of simple this morning. Um, I'm going to read in a second two of the shortest parables uh, that Jesus ever told. Um, but like many of Jesus' parables, they begin like this. They begin, the kingdom of heaven is like. And then Jesus goes on. Um, Jesus begins a lot of his parables in that way. And it, it's worth just reminding ourselves or, or commenting that when we talk about the kingdom of heaven, we're not talking about something that is just far away in future. Um, we're talking about something that is already present here and now. Um, Jesus, if you go back to Matthew 4, went around preaching the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, at other times, Jesus said the kingdom is within you, the kingdom is among you. Uh, we're still waiting for the full realization of that kingdom, but it is something that is already available in the present. Uh, when we talk about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, we're talking about the reign of God as king in our lives and in our world. That, that's what it means. God reigning as king in our lives and our world. And that's something that is already available here and now, even as we wait for it to be fully realized when Jesus comes back. So that, that's worth remembering. Um, so let's read. Uh, we're going to read in Matthew. Uh, actually, I've forgotten to write down the chapter. That I meant Matthew 13 uh, and verse 44. Matthew 13, verse 44. Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. I told you they were short. Two, two very short little parables side by side uh, that Jesus tells. Um, Sometimes with the parables, uh, people can get distracted by details in the parables that are not really relevant to the, the point of the parable. Uh, and so with this one, 
Um, some people get very hung up on whether, especially in the first parable of the treasure in the field, whether what the man does is entirely legal or ethical. Is it, is it ethical if you find a treasure in a field and the guy who owns the field doesn't know there's treasure in the field to go away and buy the field and then you own the treasure? And people get very hung up on, on debating that. Was that legal? Is that ethical? Um, I'm going to say right away that's entirely beside the point of the parable. Uh, this parable is about something else. It's about someone who discovers something of outrageous value and is willing to give up everything else in order to gain that one thing. That's what both these parables are about. Somebody who finds something of outrageous value and is willing to give up everything else in order to gain that one thing. And that's what I want to explore with you for a few minutes uh, this morning. Um, I, I find it really interesting. The two stories uh, are very similar. They're, they obviously have a very similar point. But there are some small differences between the stories which are maybe helpful to notice. Um, and I think maybe the most significant difference between the two stories is in the first story of the man finding the treasure in the field, the man doesn't really seem to be searching for the treasure. Certainly the, the way Jesus tells it, he seems to find it almost by happy accident as he walks through the field or maybe he's working in the field, he doesn't say. Uh, but he kind of stumbles upon this treasure. Whereas in the second story of the man, uh, the man is actually searching for pearls. He's searching for fine pearls. And then he finds one that is beyond his wildest dreams. Um, and I find those two different emphases really helpful, kind of sitting side by side. I, I think both stories are true to life. Um, you can maybe reflect with me about whether you agree? Some people find God when they're not really looking for him. They're just wandering through their life or even sometimes running away from God. And then they, they are bowled over by a discovery that comes out of left field. Um, the Apostle Paul is, is one example of that. Uh, Paul not only was not looking for Jesus, but he was actively persecuting Christians when a dazzling light stopped him in his tracks and he saw the risen Jesus. And then he went and gave up his whole former way of life and went on to say later on that he considered everything else rubbish and worthless compared to the infinite value of knowing Jesus. So Paul was someone who wasn't really searching for Jesus, but he found this treasure along the way. Um, I have a friend uh, who lives at the other end of this island. Um, when he was a young man, he was living, a, I think it's fair to say, a fairly wild life, uh, he would say himself. And one day when he was actually tripping on drugs, when he was high on drugs, he had a vision of Jesus. And when he came down from his high, the vision stayed with him. He couldn't shake it off. He couldn't, couldn't get it out of his mind. And so he went and got a Bible and he started to read and he went and found a Christian and asked him what this meant and he started to explore. So there was a searching that came after. Um, he's now a pastor of a church in Cork. He's probably preaching this morning in the, a pulpit of a Presbyterian church in Cork City. Um, but you can be going on with your life, not really looking for God and even running as far away as possible. And then 
you can be dazzled by the beauty of this discovery and your life can be turned upside down. And if anything, in those kind of stories, it kind of seems like the treasure was looking for you, <laughs> uh, which in fact, in actual fact, is of course the truth. Uh, you're not really searching, but you find this treasure in the middle of the field of life as you go about your life. Um, the second story, I think, is also true to life. There are people, there are other people who are seeking and searching. They're searching for truth. They're searching for meaning. They're searching for God. And then one happy day, there's an amazing breakthrough and they find something greater than they had hoped, kind of wildly beyond their, their dreams. And there's a beautiful promise in Jeremiah 29 that says, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. So there are people who seek and seek and seek. And then one glad day, there's this discovery of something beyond what they'd hoped. Maybe one example in the Bible would be the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8. Do you remember him? Um, he, had, he was searching. He had traveled to Jerusalem to worship. He wanted to learn about the God of the Jews. He was sitting in his chariot reading the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. He was going to great lengths to search and to seek. And then God sent someone to sit alongside him in the chariot uh, and open up what, what uh, that text was about. And of course, that story ends up with him, uh, I'd say, screeching to a halt. I don't know if a chariot can screech to a halt, but stopping by the road and going to be baptized in water at the side of the road. But he was someone who was searching. I, I have another friend um, who lives in our own town. Um, and a year ago, he was as convinced an atheist as I've ever known and as argumentative an atheist as I've ever known. Um, but something has happened to him in recent months. And now he's not sure. <laughs> he's doubting his atheism. And he says himself, and this is the word that he uses, that he's searching. And he's reading Christian books and he's reading the Bible and he's talking to Christians. Um, when I think about that friend, what, what is my prayer for him? Um, my prayer for him is not that he will find the cleverest answer or the killer argument. But my prayer is that he will encounter the living God, that he will see the beauty of Jesus, that he'll find the treasure in the field and the pearl of great price. And even if he still has questions that are unanswered, because most of us don't get all our questions answered in this life, he will know that his whole life now needs to be re reorientated around this discovery. I think that's the big prayer, that he finds the treasure in the field and everything else gets recalibrated as a result. Um, so some people um, are just stumbling through life and they trip over the treasure, it seems, or the treasure seems to have been looking for them. Other people are searching and seeking. Um, of course, even when someone is searching for God, the truth is that he was searching for them first. God is always the seeker before we, are, we, we think about seeking. And so I, I find that really helpful, these two stories side by side. It captures a lot of um, the experience of people uh, who, who come to faith in Jesus. Um, but whatever way a person finds this treasure, whether it's by what seems a happy accident or whether it's by diligent searching, the two stories have this in common, that they're ready to give up everything. They're ready to sell the farm. They're ready to sell everything for this discovery. Um, and so 
if we were to focus on that detail, we might start to say this is a story about sacrifice and costly discipleship and how if you really trust in Jesus, you should be ready to give up everything. You should be ready to go and to serve and to lay down your life and you must go and do these things to show that you're a true disciple. Can I say this? I, I think if we, we talk about this parable, these parables like that, I think we've missed the heart of these parables. I don't think these stories are about should and must. It's true that the man goes and does something costly, um, but I think these stories are about something else. They're about someone who sees something that is so amazing and so valuable and so glorious and so heart-stoppingly beautiful that their heart is captivated. I think that's the best word I can find. Their heart is captivated. I was talking to someone this week who said they love that story of the treasure in the field because they can imagine it so vividly and they can imagine the man's heart going, heart beating at what he's discovered and the rush that he's in to get it, get it buried again and to rush off and buy the field. There's, his heart is captured and captivated. He is dazzled. He is thrilled. He is filled with overwhelming joy. It says in his joy, he went and bought the field, sold everything and bought the field. Whenever their heart gets captivated, the only natural response is to go and give everything, to go and sell everything, to go and do anything. Um, There's one old preacher uh, who used a lovely phrase who said, uh, in talking about faith in Jesus, uh, that we have been seized by the power of a great affection. I think that's a lovely phrase. We've been seized by the power of a great affection. Andrew Peterson has turned it into a song, which you can go and listen to later. But I think that's what this story is about. If your heart is seized by the power of a great affection, you don't need anyone to tell you to go and give and serve and sacrifice. It comes out of the overwhelming joy of what you've discovered. Um, Think about a couple of more down-to-earth examples. Um, Think of a young man who's fallen in love with a young woman. He's just, he's been bowled over. His heart has been captivated uh, by this girl. You don't really need to tell him that he needs to give up lots of time to be with this girl. And you really should give at least this much time every week. And you should try to stay up a little later at night talking to her. Um, and really, you should try to think of her a few times a day. It would be, it'd be appropriate for you to think about her a few times a day. And you, you should talk about her to the people around her. You really should kind of evangelize, talk about her to the people all around you. And you should really send her some text messages maybe scattered through the day. And you should maybe think about spending some money on dinner or gifts or things to show your affection. You don't need to tell the young man that. When his heart is seized by the power of a great affection, he is ready to climb mountains and swim oceans and fight dragons and do whatever needs to be done, right? The sacrifice, he doesn't even consider it a sacrifice. It's the overflow of what has happened to his heart. Um, If that's a bit too soppy for you, that one, um, you can think of someone who supports a football team whose heart has been seized by their love of Liverpool Football Club or a better team. Um, sorry, I don't, I don't like to make jokes about football teams because you alienate somebody. So, um, But again, you don't need to tell them you really should set aside some big chunks of your time 
to watch their games. And really, if you're a real fan, you should really wear some clothing that would indicate your allegiance to other people, maybe a, a shirt or a scarf. Um, and you should really, really talk to friends and strangers about your team and why you love them so much. And, you know, every now and again, you should save up your money and go on pilgrimage uh, that will cost a lot of time and a lot of money to go and uh, praise your team along with others with your arms in the air um, and sing their praise. You, know, you, you don't need to tell someone whose heart has been captivated that you should go and give and serve and sacrifice. You can add in other examples if those two don't work for you. It could be a love of cycling or running or sea swimming or motorbikes or knitting or gardening or music. I don't know what uh, gets your heart going. Um, when you're seized by the power of a great affection, when your heart is captured by something wonderful, you don't need anyone to tell you to sacrifice. You're ready to go and sell the farm. You're ready to go anywhere and do anything and give everything for that thing that you're running after. And so maybe I want to suggest there's only really one application for us today for this, for these stories. And it's this, that we need to come before God and ask him to fill our hearts and thrill our hearts again with a sense of the infinite value and worth and beauty of Jesus and his good kingdom. I think that's it. There's no point me telling you what we should go and do to prove our allegiance to Jesus if our hearts haven't been captivated. We come before God, we ask him to fill our hearts again and thrill our hearts again with a sense of the value and worth and beauty of Jesus. Um, and so just for the last couple of minutes before I finish, um, let me just apply that for a second. First, to those who are younger and then to those who are older. And you can decide, uh, I'm not going to look at anybody in particular uh, whenever I make those applications. You can decide where you fit. Um, but first, a word for those who are younger. And when I think about maybe our teenagers and our young adults, and some of you are here this morning, some of you are watching at home, um, there are lots of things we could pray for you. Um, I wonder, looking at the older ones in the room, what do you pray for our young people? What do you pray for our young adults? Um, being honest, I think sometimes our prayers are too small. Um, sometimes we pray that you'll be safe from danger and safe from harm and you won't get into trouble and you'll not fall in with bad company. And sometimes we pray that you'll get a good job and have some nice friends and a lovely wife or husband. And those are all good things to pray for. But you know, I often come back to this as I pray for my own kids and I pray for our young people. And sometimes I think this is the only prayer that matters. I pray that you will be given a vision of the beauty of Jesus and of the life that he is inviting you into in his kingdom that will thrill your heart and captivate your imagination and light a fire within you so that you'll be ready to go and follow him wherever he leads for the rest of your life. That's my prayer, that your heart will be captivated with the beauty of Jesus and his kingdom and the life that he invites you into. Maybe this week, if you're praying for our young people, if you're praying for our young adults, I wonder, would you pray that for them this week? Uh, maybe those of you who are older are thinking, I want that for me too. You can have it too. Um, 
A word for those who are older. Um, many of us, I think, who've been following Jesus for a long time, um, maybe as, even as we talk this morning, we can remember a time in our life when we felt this way and when our heart was thrilled and seized and captivated and we were ready to do anything, to risk anything, to go anywhere, to, to give our lives away. But maybe somewhere along the way, it's very easy for us to lose that first love. And our Christian life can become something else. It can become more of a, a steady, slow trudge. And it can become a kind of routine of things we should do and things we must do and going through the motions. Um, and maybe maybe some of us might even say uh, a wee bit sceptically, John Mark, you can't stay on fire all the time. Uh, maybe maybe you were thinking when I described that young couple I described earlier on, you know, you can't keep that first fervor. That couple are going to settle eventually into a more comfortable companionship that's maybe more like a warm blanket than a, than a raging fire, right? And maybe that's partly true. Um, and yet, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like this. It's like a man who finds a treasure in a field. And I don't think he's just describing the beginning of the journey there. Like that's what it's like to become a Christian. I think he's discovering something that we can rediscover again and again and again. This is what it is like to live in the kingdom under the rule of God in Jesus' good kingdom. It's like this. It's God's desire that we should rediscover this afresh again and again. Um, and so maybe I want to encourage those of us who are older. Um, if you're sitting this morning thinking that your love feels a, like a little bit of a feeble flickering flame, it doesn't feel like a, a blazing fire at the minute, I want to encourage you this morning to bring it to Jesus and ask him to breathe on that flame. Um, I love the fact in the Bible, the Holy Spirit has talked about both as the breath of God and the wind of God. And whenever you've got a little flame, that's what it needs, is a breath to, to get the fire going. So if you feel like it's a, a bit of a flickering flame this morning, bring it to Jesus. Ask him to breathe on that flame with the gentle, powerful wind of his Holy Spirit. So it starts to burn and blaze again, like it did before. So your heart is thrilled again and captivated again by the beauty of Jesus and the life he's called you into. And then you're not going to need me or anybody else to tell you what you should do or what you must do, because you're going to be ready uh, for anything. Um, let's uh, take a moment and pray uh, these things for ourselves and each other, uh, and then we're going to sing a song of response. Uh, let's pray together. Father, I pray uh, that these powerful, simple stories that Jesus told uh, would lodge in our minds and hearts and imaginations, that we would carry them with us into the week, uh, and that they would do us good, um, that they would spark things in our minds and hearts um, and stir things in our lives. Um, Father, most of all, I want to pray uh, whether we're young, whether we're old, um, whether we've experienced this before uh, or maybe have never experienced it in our lives. Father, our prayer is that we would see the worth and value and beauty of Jesus. 
that we would see who he is in his radiance and his glory, that we would see how wonderful he is and we would see the life that he's inviting us into, uh, this adventure of life in the kingdom of God. And I want to pray that our hearts would be thrilled and our hearts would be captivated. Father, we know that's not something we can make happen ourselves. It's not something we can stir up. And so we want to pray, would you come by your spirit and set our hearts on fire with a sense of this beauty and this wonder and with an answering love in our hearts that we'd be ready to go and do anything and give anything for the one who first loved us. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.